your seats. Good morning, church. Before I get started, I just want to give you a preview of what's to come next month, next week. We're beginning a series that we've entitled The Afterlife. For the whole month of July, we're going to be looking at what Scripture tells us happens to us after we die. You don't want to miss it. Every week we're going to be learning something new from God's Word. 17 years ago, give or take, before I became a believer, my brother and I had a very successful transportation company. We had trucks, we had trailers, we had a warehouse. We would distribute goods all over the United States into Canada, Canada into Mexico. We were doing really, really good. Around the same time, again, I was a brand new believer. Around the same time, one of our trailers had an accident. It caught on fire. Now prior to this, as soon as I became a believer, I was on fire for the Lord. I was doing all sorts of services for God. I remember walking into Grace Bible Church in our hillside location, and it seemed like the very next day I was greeting, I was ushering. Again, I was on fire for the Lord. I was leading men across the river, and once a month we'd visit an orphanage. I would go to Stepping Stone, things after things, activities after activities, on fire until the trailer got on fire. And I remember on that day as I drove up to Houston, it was Schulenburg, as I got closer to the trailer, I saw the burnt trailer up on a hill. I got off my truck, got onto the trailer. I had taken some boxes to, to try and save some of the stuff that had been burnt. And as I was putting stuff into the box, I remember just stopping and saying to myself, what am I doing? It's ruined. Everything is gone. Luckily, nothing happened to the driver, but the merchandise completely destroyed. By this time, it was getting darker. I remember like it was yesterday. I was sitting in the middle of a trailer looking up where there used to be a roof. And I could see the moon and I could see the stars. And I remember looking up saying, God, why? Why did you do this? I was on fire for you, God. I was doing all these things, serving in any way I could. And here you are, allowing a fire to destroy my life. Why? I went from feeling his presence like no other to him not being present. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that in your life where you, you feel God's presence? You're, you're just on fire for the Lord and then one day you feel like he's not there. Let me ask you specifically. Did you feel God's presence this morning during worship? Did you feel his presence? And let me ask you, how do you know? How do you know that what you felt during worship this morning was God's presence? Was it because you got goosebumps and got excited? I did. I love worship. Was it maybe because you got emotional and you cry? I always cry. Or was it maybe because you felt peace? You felt relaxed. You felt at home. So again, if you felt these things, I'm going to ask you, how do you know that what you felt was God's presence? Goosebumps. Sure, God gives you goosebumps. But so does a rock concert, doesn't it? 
Maybe you cried. Of course you cry in the presence of God. But if you're like me, you cry for everything. I cry on the game show America's Got Talent. When they hit the buzzer, I start crying. <laughs> Is it because you felt relaxed and at peace? Man, in God's presence, you feel a peace that's beyond all understanding. But you also can feel at peace in the bathtub with candles. Kenny G playing in the background. I just showed my age. I love Kenny G. So again, I'm going to ask you, how do you know what you felt this morning in worship was God's presence? Or let me ask you something else. If you didn't feel God's presence this morning during worship, whose fault was it? Was it Isa? Because he didn't play the song you wanted to hear? Was it God? Was it his fault? Because maybe God decided, you know what? This side of the room, my presence. This side of the room, no presence. Whose fault was it? Whose fault is it when you don't feel the presence of God? Today we conclude our series that we've entitled Wonder Why. And today we're going to answer the question, why does God sometimes feel far away? Why does God sometimes feel like he's not there? And before I get started, if you feel maybe right now or if you've ever felt that God is not with you, let me just say this, you are not alone. You are not alone. As a matter of fact, the psalmist writes this in Psalm 88, 88, verse 13. He says this, but I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Verse 14, O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? The psalmist is saying, I come before you in prayer every morning. I want to feel your presence, but yet it feels like you're not present it feels like you're turning your face away from me. Again, if you ever felt this way or you're feeling this way now, you are not alone. But what I want us to do today is I want to look at scripture and see maybe for possible reasons why sometimes we feel God is not with us. Like if God is not there. For Possible reasons why we think God is not present in our lives. So let me begin. First possible reason why maybe you think he's not there with you is maybe, just maybe, you're over-sensationalizing his presence. You're looking for a sign. You're expecting a miracle. You want something that's awe-inspiring. You want God to literally write something on the wall. You want that. From God or else you will not believe that he is with you. We read about the same thing in the gospel of John. Let me give us a little bit of context. Jesus heals this crippled man on the Sabbath. The Pharisees as always, they freak out. They accuse Jesus of breaking God's law. Jesus rebukes him and soon after that, this is what we read in chapter 6 of the gospel of John verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. The majority of the crowds, thousands upon thousands of people were following Jesus because they saw miracles. 
They wanted him to do signs before their very eyes. Jesus, soon after this, feeds thousands of people. The disciples get on a boat. Jesus doesn't get on the boat. As a matter of fact, he walks on water. And then he decides to get on the boat with the disciples. The disciples end up on the other side. And the very next day, we read this in verse 30. So they said to him, the crowds, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Jesus, show us a sign. We are expecting you to give us another miracle so that we can see it. And because we see it, we believe it. And we do the same thing, church. We over-sensationalize his presence. We want God to speak to us directly with an audible voice. God, what should I do? Should I end this relationship? We want God to speak from heaven. Break up with him. God, should I take this job? I don't know what to do. I want you to answer me, God, by doing this. Let it rain. And if it thunders once, that means yes. And if it thunders twice, that means no. And so when God doesn't respond the way we want him to respond, because we're over-sensationalizing his presence, we feel that God is not there. Let me say this, and listen closely, church. God's presence is not a feeling, it's faith. His presence is not a feeling, it's faith. Think about this. Would you need faith if you always felt that God was there? It's not about your feelings. As a matter of fact, if you always trust your feelings, you'll end up in not a very good place. But if you always trust God, you will always end up in a very good place. It's not about feeling, it's about trust Trusting God by faith. Before I became a believer, I was enamored with money. Money was my God, little g. And so even after the fact that I became a believer and I was serving in the church anywhere I could serve, God knew my heart. And he said to me clearly, you can't serve two masters. But I didn't want to listen to him. But because of this incident that occurred with the trailer burning down, it started a domino effect. We started to lose customers. We started to lose money. But I did not want to go of the money. I wanted to keep on living with a house, the big house, and the cars, and the expenses. Well, soon after that, I led my family into a financial crisis, huge debt. I remember clearly I walked in one morning to my house and I said, I surrender, God. I'm no longer going to serve two masters. I'm only serving you. So we started to budget. We started to get out of debt. We sold the house. We sold the cars. We moved into the smaller condo, the best time of my life. And as soon as we started to get out of debt, we weren't out of debt, but we were almost there. We had budgeted everywhere we could. God put in my heart to go to seminary. I remember clearly, my wife and I were sitting down and we're looking at the expenses. And she knew, and I know, and maybe you know, but ex seminary education is expensive. I had applied for financial aid. I had gone some, but it was very little. But I remember it was a Sunday evening. We sat there. like, what do we do? And I even remember telling my wife, well, let's feed the children only Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. 
I told my wife, I don't know. It doesn't feel right. It just doesn't. Adding another expense. But I said, we're going to take a leap of faith. We're going to join or I'm going to join seminary. Church, the very next day, I kid you not, the very next day, I get a phone call from the dean of acceptance and says, Mr. Aranda, we've looked at your file. And we realize now that Laredo is one of the least evangelized cities in the United States. We need more Hispanic pastors and we're going to scholarship you 100%. I didn't pay a single cent. But if I went with my feelings, I wouldn't be here before you. It's through faith. And when you have faith, man, you see his presence because God shows up and boy does he show off. Trusting God. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, no, I still need a sign. Well, if you believe that you need a sign to prove that God is with you, that God loves you, look at the cross. That's the only sign you and I need. His sacrifice at the cross. Why do we think sometimes that God is not present? We're over-sensualizing his presence. We want a feeling. We want a miracle. We want a sign. Or maybe, maybe it's because of false teachings. Maybe you've been led astray by some teachings that are not the truth. Paul says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They're going to follow teachers who teach what they want to be taught. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Jesus says this himself in Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets. Look out. Beware who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There are some churches out there that have a false teaching that proclaim that you need to have certain spiritual gifts to prove to you and to others that God is in you. To prove the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in you. I can spend three sermons, maybe even four, on this itself. But I'm going to read to you what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I encourage you to read chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians 13 and 14, Romans 12. Read these. To get a better understanding what spiritual gifts are. But here's what Paul says. Verse 4, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. He goes on and says, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. What is Paul saying? Let me summarize. Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit gives us a variety of gifts. And he says that all these gifts are empowered by the Holy Spirit, not by us. You can't pray for a certain gift 
It is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And each of these gifts are given for a common good, for a purpose. What is that common good? To serve the Lord and his church. That's what spiritual gifts are there for, to serve the Lord and his church. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 4. As each has received a gift, not all gifts, a gift, use it to prove that God is with you. Use it to prove to others that God's manifestation, the Holy Spirit is in you. No, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Spiritual gifts are not signs to prove to everyone that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. They are gifts given to serve the Lord and his church. That's what spiritual gifts are there. They're there for that. Let me say something else and then I'll move on. Don't compare your gifts given to you specifically by God to someone else's. Don't say, oh, I wish I could be more serving or I could teach or I can do all these things. God is working in you like he is working in everyone else separately. God is working in you in his timing and his pace. Don't compare other gifts to yours. Why? Why you may think God is not present. You're over-sensationalizing his presence. You want a miracle. You want a sign. Maybe there's some false teachings that you've heard out there and you believe them. And here's the possible, the third possible reason. Because your heart is hardened. Maybe you don't feel God's presence because your heart has been hardened to the things of God. Jesus, he quotes the prophet Isaiah and he says this in Matthew 13 verse 14. You will indeed hear but never understand and you will indeed see but never perceive. Why? For these, for these people's hearts has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed. Maybe it's because you have a hardened heart that you don't feel the presence of God. God is there, but because of your hardened heart, you don't feel like he is there. And one of the main reasons that I've read scripturally, one of the main reasons why most people get a hardened heart is because of unconfessed, ongoing sin. When you have unconfessed, ongoing sin, it lives in your heart, it rules in your heart, and so because of that, you don't feel the presence of God in your heart. James says this in James chapter 4, verse 7 through 8. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Two things James is telling you and me. He says submit. We need to be in a submissive relationship with God. And then he says to resist. Be in opposition to the devil. Oppose his temptation. Confess your sin. And then draw closer to God and he will draw closer to you. God is not far away. It's our sin that drifts us away from God. It's the hardening of our heart. Let me ask you, church. Ask yourself. And be real with yourself. Be real with God. Is there 
maybe an ongoing, unconfessed sin in your heart right now that's preventing you from feeling the presence of God. Maybe, maybe you have unforgiveness, and this is a huge one. Living with unforgiveness does not allow you or prohibits you from feeling his presence in your heart. Maybe you're angry, maybe you've been hurt, maybe you have guilt, jealousy, envy. Husbands, listen to me. Are you honoring your wives the way we are called to honor our wives? Because if you're not, First Peter says our prayers are hindered. And our hearts are hardened by the sin of lust, of comfort, and I can go on and on and on and on. Ungoing, unconfessed sins hardened your heart. But also, a heart is hardened when we try to be too legalistic. We become very religious. We walk around like we have a halo on our heads, looking down on everyone. Did you see what he was doing? Did you see what she was doing? Oh, no. We're judging everyone else. We depend more on our performance than we do on his presence. It becomes all about our religion. And it should be all about relying on him. And when this happens, we elevate religion and we lower Jesus and our heart gets hardened. It's not about religious duties. It's about a genuine devotion. That's what Jesus wants, your heart. Again, James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And he then, he says this, cleanse you your hands, you sinners, and purify your what? Your hearts, purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's not God that's far away, church. It's not. He is always present. It's us. It's us that have drifted away. So what are some reasons why sometimes you feel that he is far away? Again, maybe you're over-sensationalizing his presence. You, you've been... You've been taught wrong by false teachings. Maybe you have a hardened heart. Or maybe, just maybe, God wants you to seek him. God wants you to desire him. To go after him. Look what Luke writes in Acts 17 verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Why? Why did God allow this? That they should seek God and perhaps, hopefully, feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Why did God do this? So that they would reach out to him, desire him, seek him. Church, many times God puts us in situations so that we could want him more. To trust him. To go after him. Many times he puts us in situations where you're sitting in the middle of a burnt trailer asking God, where are you? And God saying, I am here. You just need to seek after me. Maybe God's 
puts you in a situation where you feel he's far away and you get a phone call from the doctor with news you don't want to hear and you're thinking to yourself, why God, why? And God's saying, trust me, come to me, follow me. Maybe you lose, you lose your job and you don't know where else to go and God's saying, come to me. So he puts us in situations so we can draw near to him and want him and desire him. Listen, if you're in a season right now, remember this. Depravity draws out desire. Depravity always draws out desire. When you're hungry, you want food. When you've got nowhere else to go, to go, I hope you want God. He wants you to pursue him. See, our God is a relational God. Our God wants our hearts and he wants our devotion. I love, love what Jeremiah says. He says this in Jeremiah 29 verse 13. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. It's a promise that when you seek him, when you desire him, when you go after him with all your heart, he will be found. Why? Because God is always there. He always has been and will always, always be. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes you look back in your past experiences where you felt at that moment that God was not present. But now looking back, you realize, yeah, God, you were there every step of the way. As a matter of fact, as I look back to that situation of the burnt trailer, I truly believe if that wouldn't have happened, if that incident that led my brother and I to lose our business slowly but surely, if that wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't have desired him the way I desire him now. I believe if that wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't be standing here the way I'm standing before you now. I don't know, church, honestly, I don't know why sometimes we don't feel his presence. But I know for a fact that he is always present. Always. See, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven, living, living all the riches of heaven and, and stepping into this horrific, sinful world and lived a perfect life. Not once did he sin. Not once. And at the end of his ministry... He was beaten. He was abandoned. He was humiliated. And as he walked towards the cross, all beaten up, all sweaty, tired, nails were put in his hands and on his feet. He was crucified on our behalf. And as he hung on the cross, one of the last things that Jesus yelled out, was this. We see this in Matthew 27, verse 46. Jesus declares, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? Why don't I feel your presence anymore, God? Think about this. Never once from eternity past had Jesus ever been separated from the Father. And at that moment... Where the punishment of your sin and my sin was placed on him. God's wrath placed on Jesus Christ. He was separated from the Father. He was forsaken from the Father. Why? So that anyone 
who puts their trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ would never, ever be forsaken. See, church, we're told time and time again that once we put our trust in Jesus Christ, in the sacrifice at the cross and his resurrections, when we believe in our hearts that that sacrifice and his resurrection was sufficient to pay for the penalty of our sins, at that moment, Romans says we are justified, we are declared right in God's eyes. At that moment, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. At that moment, we can never be separated from God. He is always there. And we read about these truths in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Paul says this, there is therefore no condemnation, zero, for those who are in Christ Jesus. He goes on and says this in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? But he doesn't stop there. He goes on, verse 37, no. And all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am confident without a doubt. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything. And he means anything. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you're feeling, church, that you're in a season where you don't feel his presence, when you feel maybe you're feeling right now that God is not there, remember this, Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. You may be in a season right now where you, when you don't know what to do. Remember, Emmanuel, God is with you. He is your guide. Maybe you're in a season where you have hurt and you have pain. Remember, Emmanuel, God is your comforter. He is there with you. Maybe you're in a season of depression and sadness. Emmanuel, God is with you as your father. Or maybe, maybe you're in a season of anxiety and you're worried. Remember, Emmanuel, he is there to offer you peace. That surpasses all understanding or maybe you're in a season of ongoing sin. Emmanuel, Jesus is your Savior. Why does God sometimes feel far away? I don't know. But I do know this. His presence is always present. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for all your promises that are found in your word, the authority, the truth of everything. And Father, I pray, I pray first of all that if anyone here has not come to understand the truth of the gospel of your son Jesus Christ, maybe someone here is trying to still merit their salvation by being religious, by trying to be good enough. Will you, Holy Spirit, indwell in them the truth? And Father, I pray if they maybe have questions, they come and ask or pray with the deacons that are going to be up here soon or ask me what it means to be saved by grace through faith in only your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for those of us that have trusted your son as Lord and Savior. 
that we know and feel these truths, that you're always present. You will always be there. And we will praise you in the highs and we will praise you in the lows because you are a God who is there, who loves us, whose love will never be separated from us. We love you, Father. We praise you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. God bless you, church. Love you guys.